0: Welcome to Redemption Community Church's Sermon Podcast. For more information, please visit www.redemptiondallas.org. John chapter seven, continuing on in the series in the Gospel of John, the life and teachings of Jesus Christ. This is the tenth sermon in this series. We've made it to chapter 7 just reading three verses of scripture this morning and this this chapter takes place during a Jewish festival and the beginning of the chapter is the beginning of the festival the festival lasts lasts a week uh, and then uh, has an an eighth day of closing the festival out and this is where we're at reading of what happened on the eighth day verse 37 on the last day of the feast the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to Me and drink. Whoever believes in Me, as the Scriptures have said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. That was the word of, words of Jesus and then John adds His commentary, Now this He said about the Spirit whom those who believed in Him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. And this is the Word of the Lord. Let's bow our heads. We pray this prayer through the, with the saints throughout the centuries and say, Blessed Lord, You have caused all holy scriptures to be written for our learning. Grant us that we may in such a way hear them, read, mark learn and inwardly digest them, that by patience and comfort of Your Holy Word, we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life, which You have given us in our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Jesus is now in Jerusalem in chapter 7. He is there for the Feast of Tabernacles. It's also known as the Feast of Booths. This feast, or this festival, which they still celebrate today in Israel was one of the three pilgrimage festivals that Israelites, as they were able, would travel to each year to Jerusalem. We see something similar in Acts chapter 2, when we see that there were people from all over that part of the world, Acts 2 starts naming them out, Elamites and uh, people like this who are from all over the world that gather into Jerusalem to celebrate the festival. Uh, at that time in Acts 2, it's the Feast of Weeks. And the Jewish festival of that we read this morning uh, about, is the festival of Shavuot, uh, also known then as the the Feast of Tabernacle or the Feast of Booze. And it was an agricultural festival. It occurred in September or October, depending on what year it was. uh, The equivalent in our calendar to September and October. And it celebrated the end of the harvest season. And it is called the Feast of Tabernacles or booths because the tabernacle or booth, the tabernacle did not refer to the tabernacle that people worshipped in. It referred to a temporary shelter. If you look at them today, they still do this. It's almost like a shed. It's about the size of a small shed and it was a temporary structure and it was what the farmers would use to live in during harvest season. It was small, it was usually covered with palms or other plants on top as kind of a makeshift roof to shelter them from the elements. And during the festival, as the Israelites would journey and make their pilgrimage to Jerusalem, they would build these booths to stay in for the entire week to commemorate this. And this is commanded by God in Scripture, they did not come up with this on their own. book of Leviticus and the law says, Now the fifteenth day of the seventh month, when you have gathered in the produce of the land, you shall keep the festival of the Lord lasting seven days, a complete rest on the first day and a complete rest on the eighth day. On the first day you shall take the fruit of majestic trees, branches of palm trees, boughs of leafy trees, and willows of the brook, and you shall rejoice before the Lord your God for seven days. You shall keep it as a festival to the Lord seven days in the year. You shall keep it in the seventh month as a statute forever throughout your generations. You shall live in booths for seven days. All that are citizens in Israel shall live in booths, so that your generations may know that I made the people of Israel live in booths when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God." So all of this was not made up by the people of God. It was commanded by, the, by God to His people that this is how you will honor me. This is how you will remember and commemorate what I did for you bringing you out of Egypt. But this is a festival of rejoicing. If you were to watch, and I, I did yesterday, I, I looked it up. If you were to watch on YouTube uh, videos of the Shavuot festival today, you will see them playing music keyboards, guitars, drums, fast songs, and there will be hundreds of people in a group dancing and they will be interlocked. Sometimes they hold hands, sometimes they grab on the shoulder of the person behind in front of them and they dance. They just dance all through the building for long periods of time. And you look at their faces and they're smiling and they're laughing. You say, what are they doing? They're obeying the Scripture. They're rejoicing. It was a festival that was commanded by God that this is a time that you rejoice and the Jews still do this today. All of the observances of this week were done with joy. The, The Torah or the law refers to this as being a joyous occasion more so than any other ceremony that the law prescribes. The most intense joy was found in the water libation, the pouring of the water on the altar with the daily morning sacrifice. This is what Grant Osborne writes about this water festival. He says, There were two special ceremonies on each of the seven days, and Jesus fulfills both. Each morning there was a water ceremony, fulfilled here in verses 37-39 through 39 in John, and every evening there was a light ceremony. These two did not take place on the eighth day, for it was a special joyous day of rest for the disassembling of the booths with dancing and singing of the halal psalms and the halal psalms are a group of psalms 113 through 18 and they would sing these psalms as they would disassemble their booths and jesus stood and made this proclamation on that special morning thereby presenting himself as the accumulation of the water ceremony the water ceremony took place with the procession at dawn every morning each previous night the revelers would celebrate the crops god had given them in the morning, and in the morning they would thank God for the rain that made the crops grow. These ceremonies drew on Isaiah twelve three. With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. Each morning the high priest drew water from the pool of Siloam in a golden pitcher. Then he led a procession up the temple with the blowing of the shofar shofar or trumpet at the morning sacrifice, with the pilgrims shaking leafy branches symbolizing the wilderness journey and holding up a piece of citrus fruit to symbolize the harvest itself. The procession marched around the altar seven times, pouring water from the pitcher into a funnel on the side of the altar. As the water flowed around the base of the altar, the temple choir sang the Halal Psalms. And when the water ceremony normally happened on the previous seven days, it was on the eighth day that Jesus stood up and said in a loud voice that thirsty pilgrims could come and drink of Him. Now if you were to ask anyone who attended one of these festivals what a common theme or a common element was that they used to honor and commemorate during the week they would likely say water because this was central to what they did during that week and it was on the last day of that festival with water so prevalent on everyone's minds that Jesus stood up and declared that if anyone thirsts let him come to me and drink whoever believes in me as the scriptures have said out of his heart will flow rivers of living water Now this said He about the Spirit, whom those who believed in Him were yet to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not yet been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Now to properly understand Scripture, and we all, were Bible people, I want to help us be Bible people, to understand Scripture when you read it, because lots of people read the Bible and come up with a lot of different uh, interpretations. I know I've told the story a lot, but it has stuck with me nine years later, Uh, when I moved here nine years ago and needed a haircut and sat down in the first barber chair I could find and the man behind me asked me my story and what I was doing and I told him and started talking a little bit about why we moved here and he said, ah, let me tell you something, I've visited all these churches and he just went down the line, I mean Methodist, Episcopalian, Presbyterian, Baptist, Pentecostal I mean he had ticked all the boxes, he said, here's my problem I only see but one book when I look up there at the pulpit (laughs) And I said, you have a really good point. I said, that is a really valid point. Uh And so why is that? It's because people interpret Scripture differently. And as they do, groups of people that agree on things over the centuries have kind of broke off and huddled up in their little camp. Uh, But to properly understand the Bible, you need to understand two major points. Number one is that God has always had one covenant people. And I'm going to loop all this back to John 7. John 7. I'm just I'm taking the, the long way around. God has always had one covenant people. In the Old Testament, you were in covenant by being a Jew and keeping the law of God. And the sign of being in that covenant was reserved for males who were circumcised on the eighth day of their birth. It was the sign of the covenant. In the New Testament, we are in covenant by being a Jew inwardly. That's Paul's language that he is a Jew inwardly. Paul says that circumcision is no longer outward and physical, but rather it is inward. And circumcision is a matter of the heart by the Spirit and not by the law. In Romans 4, this all happens by faith in Jesus Christ. But this isn't just in the New Testament, because Abraham was justified by his faith. And Paul says, Abraham's faith was counted to him as righteousness. And it was done, and Paul really stresses this in Romans 4, it was done before he was circumcised and not after. In other words, circumcision did not bring you into the covenant. It was a sign of being in covenant. In the New Testament, baptism is a circumcision of the heart. Equivalent to circumcision of the flesh in the Old Testament. That's Paul's whole argument in Colossians 2 is that we have now been circumcised in the heart and that baptism is kind of replaces that circumcision of the flesh. So the, the first thing you need to know of understanding the Bible is that God has always had one covenant people and there has always been a sign of that covenant. The second thing to know is that the Old Testament points to Jesus Christ. Jesus said in John, search the Scriptures. And here He is speaking of the Old Testament. The New Testament has not been codified yet. There's, they're, they're writing it as it happens. In the New Testament, when they say the Scriptures, they're referring solely to the Old Testament. And so when Jesus says, Search the Scriptures, for in them you have life, and they are they which testify of Me. That's what got Him killed. I'm the one that the Old Testament... All your Scriptures that you've been studying for thousands of years, I'm the one that they were pointing to. And that was a radical, radical claim to do that. So you we have to know the whole Bible is about... Jesus. I've always said that Jesus said the Old Testament is about Him. The Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John are the life and times of Jesus. Acts is the story of the early church, which is Christ's body on the earth. The epistles are letters written to the churches, which is the body of Christ. And the last book of the Bible, the Revelation, it tells you in the first verse, it's the revelation of Jesus Christ. So from Genesis to Revelation, the whole Bible is about Jesus. The Bible is about His redemptive work to restore His creation back to its original glory, and that includes the redemption of our souls. So as Paul puts it, God has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption. So the whole Bible points to Jesus. This is what John is doing, and this is what Jesus is doing in John chapter 7. Whoever believes in me as the Scripture has said, Out of his belly will flow rivers of living water. Jesus stands up during a feast that for centuries has been celebrated with water and says, actually all of these ceremonies that you've been doing all this time, it's actually about me. And it's about my spirit. That's the symbolism. That's what he's referring to. We know in in the Old Testament that water is used. Like how does God deliver his people? He delivers his people through wind and water. Like this is the... That through the Old Testament, there's just time after time that this is how God delivers His people. This is what John latches on, or Jesus latches on to in John chapter 3 when he's having a conversation with a Jewish leader who knows His Scriptures. And he says, you are born again of water and spirit. And then it says, Nicodemus, how is it that you as a leader of the Jews don't understand what I'm saying? He's referring to things of old that have always been there in the Scriptures. So in verse 37, he says, if anyone thirsts the human soul has a thirst that will move heaven and earth to satisfy it every one of us can attest to that personally there is a hunger in our soul that we will do anything to fill whether that be in ways that build and love and make the world a better place or in ways that are destructive, in ways that annihilate everything that gets in the way. doesn't matter. I'm going to make sure that my soul is satisfied. There's an old song <clears throat> that says, Only Jesus satisfies the soul. And I believe that is true. But until people find Jesus, or until Jesus finds them, till that miraculous work comes together, people often create a trail of disaster looking for satisfaction. This is why sometimes people who go to church and claim to be Christians don't demonstrate a life that is any less destructive than that of a person making no claims to faith. Well, I thought they were religious. I thought they went to church. It's irrelevant. It doesn't matter darken the church door seven days a week. It's it's not about just going to church. It's about drinking from the water that Jesus Christ offers. They found religion. They found a church. They just didn't drink the water from the well that is Jesus Christ. So if you're looking for another person or a job or a hobby to complete you, you will in the long term live a life of disappointment. So I encourage all of us this morning that if you're thirsty, drink from that well that is Christ. You have a divine invitation from Jesus in His Word. He's speaking to you. If anyone thirsts, He's talking to us, He's speaking to me, He's speaking to you. Don't wait. Don't question it. Don't weigh the pros and the cons. Come, drink. Be satisfied, be fulfilled, find your joy and your uninhibited delight in Jesus Christ. Not in organized religion, but in the person of Jesus Christ. We were made to be in communion with Him. It was mankind's natural state in the Garden of Eden to walk with God. The Bible says that Adam and Eve walked with God in the cool of the day. They had relationship. They had communion with His presence. And sin broke that divine fellowship. And now Jesus stands with arms wide open inviting whosoever will, let them come and drink from the water and be satisfied. The Bible is the story of God's redemptive purpose throughout history. What is God doing now? He's redeeming souls. He's here to take people who are broken, who are lost, who are hurting. I've heard people make statements about, I couldn't go to church, The, the roof would fall in. Like, no, you got that backwards. The church was designed for people who think like that. The church was designed for people who have been cast out. I mean, they're the, the word social justice has been hijacked politically but there is no greater justice warrior than Jesus Christ who came, comes and makes all things well. He takes the people who are cast out, who are abandoned who have been marginalized by society and he throws open his arms and And God forbid if we don't throw open the doors of the church to those people and to everyone else and say we make no distinction we see nothing here but a lost soul and a sinner who needs saved by the grace of God because that's who we are is sinners saved by the grace of God let them come let them drink of the water and be satisfied so if you remember remind us of John 6 one chapter before one sermon before this is what he says for this is the will of my father that everyone who looks on the son and believes in him should have eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day Whoever feeds on my flesh and whoever drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. The only main difference between the verses is that one speaks of eating Jesus' flesh and blood, and the other speaks of looking at Christ and believing in Him. That is what it meant. This is the connection that Jesus is saying is that you eat of me and drink of me by believing in me. What is a metaphor referring to the reality of the other verse. I said it a couple of weeks ago and it bears repeating. Augustine said 1,700 years ago, believe and you have eaten. That's what Jesus is saying, That these metaphors. And when people get disgusted by His words, He doesn't try to chase them down and clarify and say, guys, I really meant this. No, He doubles down and says, this is what you have to do. And He's connecting all of that to belief. That's the level that you need to believe in Me, Jesus says. Believe and you have eaten. Don't believe in Jesus the same way that you believe in yourself. The, the mantra of our day is believe in yourself. And Jesus says, no, that's not the way of the cross. The way of the cross is believe in Me. That's what you need to believe. Like this, All this talk about self-esteem. The only thing I read in Scripture about self is that self must die. I'm supposed to kill myself. I'm not looking inwardly for my salvation and my hope. I'm looking unto Him, the author and the finisher of faith. So believe in Jesus in a way that can be described as you eating His flesh and drinking His blood. The exact same thing that happened in chapter 6 is happening in chapter 7. He's tying belief in with the drinking of the water that can satisfy the soul. It brings Back memories of John 4 where Jesus is at the well with the woman and he starts talking about water. I have water that you can drink and never thirst again. So he's just using these metaphors over and over. And this is why preaching through books of the Bible is is for me easier because sometimes I feel like I'm repeating myself and I go, well, Jesus is repeating himself, so I'm just saying what Jesus said over and over. Look unto him and believe in ways that can be described as something that is radical rid yourself of the notion that saving faith believing on Jesus is a mental decision to believe facts about him. It's not what this is. Biblical belief is a God-induced belief that moves you from life from moves you from death to life from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of his son. If any man thirst verse 38 whoever believes in me as the scripture has said Out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. I grew up hearing this so many times in the King James. And the King James says, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. The ESV says heart, well which is it? Well, uh, it literally means your innermost being. So you can call it heart, belly, soul, uh, translators had different takes on it, it's all correct, it means the inward man. I I looked this up, studying the original language, I looked this up in the Greek to see what the word means, and you'll rarely hear me talk about original languages from the pulpit intentionally. Um, But in the Greek, uh, the definition was innards. And I was like, well I didn't expect that to be in a a Greek dictionary, the, the innards. So it's from your innards, it's the the very deepest part of who you are, is where Jesus said drink from Me and out of your innermost being will flow rivers of living water. When you drink from Him, you get a river of water flowing from you. And if that river is not flowing like it should, we need to check that there isn't debris in our life that is damming up the headwaters, the source of that water. Drink from Him freely, and from you will freely flow rivers of living water. So what exactly does that mean? I mean, it's it's great imagery, it's great word pictures, but how do you bring that down and say, okay, what does this really look like? We know it speaks of the Holy Spirit inside of us. We also know that Jesus is making a statement that at that exact moment isn't even applicable to those people because He has not yet been glorified. He's going to be crucified resurrected his body is going to be glorified he's going to ascend in the heavens and then he's going to send his Holy Spirit none of this has happened yet so Jesus is speaking he's preparing his followers for something that is to come it's not here yet but it's not that far down the road either for the people who are following Jesus is that there is something that is transformational that is going to happen in the lives of His people. He is preparing His people for what is to come after He is glorified and after He ascends into the heavens, and that is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We can now experience fellowship with the risen Christ through the power and the presence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Jesus was, past tense, was with us as the incarnate man, the eternal Word manifest in the flesh. Jesus is now present tense in us through the power of His Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Jesus Christ. John 14 I will ask the Father and He will give you another Helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees Him nor knows Him. You know Him for He dwells with you and will be in you. Paul says in Romans 8, Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. He's very careful to note that it is the Spirit of Jesus Christ that is in us. You must have His Spirit within you. That's the invitation in John 7, to drink of Him and you will have the Spirit within you. Christ as the Son of God cannot be seen by us because He's in the heavens. Where is He exactly? Well, He's not here. He ascended. And we know, I mean, He says, I go away to prepare a place for you. Uh, two other places in Scripture, it says that He is making intercession for us on behalf of the saints. What is Jesus doing right now? Well, according to Scripture, He's making intercession for us. Uh, so, But He's not here. None of us have ever physically laid eyes on Him. But He is within us as believers. And the, the thing that I want to drive home this morning is that Jesus is here among us today just as real as if He was sitting here with us on this front row. If Jesus were to walk in this room today, I have no doubt that we would all fall at His feet and worship Him. We would feel like we could ask Him anything. We would all want to have one-on-one conversations with Him. We would want to, uh, you know... I want to be the one. Let let, let me take you out to lunch. Mm -hmm. Let's sit down and have a conversation. And while he was on the earth, this is what he did. He had face-to-face meetings with people. He ate with them. He walked with them. Uh, There was a fellowship. He was. I think sometimes it's hard for us to imagine that Jesus, just how human He really was. He wasn't like a human. That's really bad theology. To say He was light. No, He was a person. He was a human being just like you and I are. There was a real humanity uh, element about the incarnate Christ. But yet He is here today with us just as real through the power of His Holy Spirit. We are so materialistic minded. We have such a view that the real world is physical, tangible things that I can touch, that I can measure, that is matter, that has dimensions, that I can move and the the spirit world somehow is less than real, that it's ethereal, that it's not quite the same, where in reality the real world is the spirit world because it is the long, it is the oldest, it is the eternal, that God is spirit, that before matter ever existed there was God in His spirit. That's the real world that exists among us. So Jesus is here this morning. And He pours out His spirit. It is the promise for the church today that He is going to pour out His Holy Spirit. Hear what the prophet Joel said. Joel 2, it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions, and even on the male and female servants in those days I will pour out my Spirit. I've thought before how radical this had to have been for a prophet to say and for people to read that women would be recipients of this. In in a patriarchy that was so male-dominant, where men carried the sign of the the covenant through circumcision, that the prophet says, There is coming a time when upon men and women in those days I will pour out my Spirit. So this is all fulfilled in the book of Acts chapter 2, when the day of Pentecost arrived. Pentecost was a feast. Uh, The Jews called it the Feast of Weeks. Pentecost is... I've had people ask me, what does it mean? What does Pentecostal mean? Like, that's real easy. It means 50. That's what the word means. It's Penta. The Pentagon has five sides. Pentecost means 50. Done. Uh, This was a feast that happened 50 days after Passover. So this is why if you Google when Pentecost Sunday is, it will show you it will be seven weeks after Easter. So April 17th is Easter. Seven weeks after that, it's the roughly 50 days, that's when we're going to celebrate Pentecost Sunday. And this is how they did it in Scripture, that 50 days after the Passover, they would celebrate the Feast of Weeks. This is what the word means. So when it says, when the day of Pentecost arrived, it's speaking about another Jewish festival. They were all together in one place. Now why were they there in one place? This is because Jesus, when He ascends, He tells them, you go back to Jerusalem, and you tarry and you wait for the promise of the Father. I'm going to send the promise of the Father. Paul says 500 people gathered together, uh, 380 of them left. The Bible doesn't say 380, it's just because we know how to do math. Paul says 500 gathered, Acts 2 says there were 120. So somewhere 380 people disappear. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, when the people who were gathered around that area, you know, Acts 2 talks about Parthians and Medes and Elamites, it's just all these people from around the world that are gathering together, they hear them speaking in their own native tongue. They say, we know these people aren't from our part of the world. What's going on here? All these people are talking in all these different languages, and they were amazed and perplexed, and others said they are drunk. Peter says, no, they're not drunk, as you suppose. It's only the third hour of the day. In other words, it's probably about 9 o'clock in the morning, roughly. So it's, it's too early for all of that. They're not drunk. But this is that that was prophesied by the prophet Joel. What I just read, Joel 2, Old Testament. It shall come to pass in the last days, I will pour out my Spirit. And this is what Peter does. Peter simply quotes Joel 2 in its entirety and says, This is that. This is what Joel was talking about. It was promised in the Old Testament. It's poured out in the New Testament. This is what Jesus is telling is going to happen in John 7. It's all connected. It's all the same. Believe in me and out of your belly, out of your heart, out of your soul, will flow rivers of living water, and this spake He of His Holy Spirit. It's so important to understand it's the Spirit of Christ. So verse 32, Peter tells them, This Jesus God has raised up, and that all of that we are witnesses. We've all seen Him after the crucifixion. We saw Him. We walked with Him. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God. This is figurative language of being exalted at the right hand of God. God is a spirit. Uh, this is not f- a physical reality. This is speaking symbolically that this is where Jesus is now. He is elevated to the person of God. We call it high Christology that Jesus is God. That there's not, He's not like God. He's not partially God. He is fully all in all God. Scripture says the fullness of the Godhead dwells in Him bodily. Jesus is 100% deity and God. "...being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit..." So you say, okay, the Father has given Jesus the promise of the Holy Spirit. He, who is the He? The He is Christ. It's Jesus. He has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. Peter's trying to make the connection that the Jesus that you crucified is the one who is right now doing what you're seeing. All these people speaking in other languages. This is Jesus doing this. Jesus is active on the scene in Acts 2. And I think that's sometimes what we miss in Acts 2 is that it is Jesus who is the one that is the active player. He is the active participant in Acts 2 that is pouring back out on His Spirit. So all the things that Jesus said while He walked the earth, things like, I am with you, but I shall be in you, And all these things, he's trying to say, this isn't a separate entity, this is the person of Christ now in His Spirit that is being poured out upon all of us. Later on, they would say, Peter would tell them, this same Jesus that you crucified, God has made both Lord and Christ, Messiah. You killed Him, you crucified Him, and you made a big misstep there. And this is why in verse 37, they just say, men and brethren, what shall we do? I mean, they get the revelation that, Oh my goodness, we killed the one. We killed the Messiah. We looked for it for thousands of years. God sends them and we kills them. We kill them. It's like to say that's a major misstep. I I don't know how you describe that and what should have been going on. I mean, the Bible says they were pricked in their hearts. Can you imagine that the feelings of condemnation that come with that? We are children of the Spirit, children of the wind. Jesus told Nicodemus, the wind blows where it will, and you hear the sound. You've been out on a windy day around trees, and you hear the wind blowing through the trees. You don't know exactly where it's coming from or where it's going. You just hear the sound. You know the wind is blowing. You know it's active. Jesus says, you can't tell where the wind comes from or where it's going. Then He says, so is everyone that is born of the Spirit. What separates us and I'd and fight Peggy back to the music what separates us from other religions that honor men who are long dead is that Jesus is not dead. He died 2,000 years ago, a real physical death. And God raised Him in a real physical resurrection. And because of that, He is not dead, nor is He far away. He is within us and He will appear again. Christ will come back. Uh, the, the angels as, as His followers stood and, and just stared in the, in the sky watching uh, after Jesus ascended and was taken up in a cloud. Uh, the two angels that come down say, why, why do you stand here and gaze? The same Jesus was going to come back in like manner. Just as He went away, He is going to return. In the interim, He sent His helper. He sent His paraclete. He sent His comforter, the Holy Spirit. And it is the Spirit of Christ. Joel prophesied it. Peter declared it jesus ordained it whoever believes in me as the scripture has said out of his heart will flow rivers of living water when the people were hearing peter as peter stands up with the 11 and the people are hearing peter give this sermon on the day of pentecost and it's you should read acts 2 just kind of reread the sermon that he gives i mean it's not a sermon like this where he has prepared notes he's just speaking from his heart of course, Peter is a Jew. He knows his, his scriptures. He knows the story. So he walks through, he talks about David, and he's just doing some amazing things. It always amazes me that a fisherman, Peter's a fisherman, and Peter's the guy that, uh, not too many days before this, sitting around the campfire, and somebody says, Aren't you the, one of his followers that, uh, of that Jesus guy that they, they're crucifying? He's on trial. Aren't you one of his people? uh your, your accent kind of gives you away and he thinks to himself how can i get out of this and so he starts cussing he, he, he starts cussing to prove that he's not one of those people well if i cuss they won't think i'm with jesus and uh and then he denies he's like no uh, and they ask him again and you know jesus has already told peter you're going to deny me before the uh, for the rooster crows three times, you're going to deny me. And Peter's like, Lord, I'll never deny you. I'll die with you. And Jesus is like, no, watch and see what happens. And then Peter hears the cry of the, of the rooster, and it comes back to him, the word of Jesus, and he's so condemned in his heart. But then, just a few weeks later, and here Peter's standing up, and he is the first preacher of the church, and he's declaring, this Jesus that you crucified. And he's doing, it's just for me it's always been a proof of anointing that like just here's an ordinary fisherman i mean acts four they take note of jesus's followers they say they are ignorant and unlearned men but they have been with jesus like that's the that's the catch they're ignorant and unlearned they're not well trained like we are in the scriptures but they've been with jesus and peter just speaking under anointing just giving this first sermon of the church in acts two He finishes and they said, the Bible says they're pricked in their hearts. say, men and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter's response is, you need to repent. You need to be baptized, every one of you, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the remission. Remission means forgiveness. For the remission, forgiveness of your sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises unto you and your children and all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call And with many other words did He preach and exhort and testify, saying, save yourselves from this untoward generation. It was, Acts 2 was the accumulation of Joel 2.28. Acts 2 was the accumulation of John 7. All of this, they're just different metaphors and word pictures and all that, but it all speaks of the same thing. It all all points to the Spirit of Christ among us. That we want to be Spirit-filled believers. We want to be people who can testify that the Spirit of Christ is indeed inside of me. Let's pray. Father, this morning, thank You for Your goodness, Your mercy, and Your grace for Your Word that is here with us. Uh, that, that You, Yourself, as the person of Jesus Christ, You're here through the power and the anointing of Your Spirit. And You're not just going to stay in this room today, but as we leave here, You'll go with us, and You'll guide us, and You'll lead us. and. And if we're sensitive to the leading of Your Spirit, You'll speak to us. You'll give us direction. You'll give us comfort. You'll give us insight. You'll grant us wisdom to make good choices and decisions this week. You'll you'll help us. You'll empower us and anoint us to be witnesses uh, to a lost and dying world that we may give a reason for the hope that we have that is within us. So, Father, now, as I've done my best to give us your word and not my words let your word abide in us go with us and keep us and we ask this this morning in jesus name amen she begins to play and sing let's just take a moment to, to worship him as we close out